This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. As a kid, I helped my dad work on projects a lot. And there were times where he'd ask me to measure things, say, go grab a yardstick. And without fail, when I picked up a yardstick, I had to take just a moment for a little sword play. I say that like I've grown out of it. To be honest, I still do that almost every time I pick up a yardstick. There's just something about holding a yardstick that just calls your memory back to medieval times and the art of holding a sword. The difference is, in a hardware store, people look at you really funny. when your imagination gets carried away. But as a kid, I would grab a yardstick, and in my mind, it would turn into this. Judging by your laughter, I'm not the only one who's ever done that. I know this is the way the minds of kids work, because my friends and I, none of us would ever have to invite the other to a battle. If we walked by a pile of sticks or anything that was shaped roughly like a sword, we would all just instinctively pick one up and start a battle. Ready to fight. There's something about holding a sword or a yardstick that makes you feel confident, makes you feel bold and daring. Let your imagination run with images of swashbuckling, sword-wielding glory. It's fun. It's exciting. It's courageous and daring. It's a theme song somewhere in there. Today we talk about the sword of the spirit as part of the armor of God, continuing on in our series. We turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin our sermon this week like we have with each of the series, reading through this passage of the armor of God with the challenge to memorize these 10 verses from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Hopefully you've been working. We've got one more sermon next week, so it's crunch time. If you're a procrastinator like me, this is the week to study. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open it and turn to Ephesians 6. The words will be on the screen behind me. If you want to use the YouVersion app, you can search under events for Parkview Finley and find scripture and sermon notes there as we read along together. Let's begin in verse 10. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. 
Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, our focus this week is verse 17. We began our study last week with the helmet of salvation in verse 17. And now we finish the last part of that verse, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, here's a unique uh, image for us with a sword, because we need to think in terms of offense and defense. Most of the time, when we think of a sword, we, we think weapon. We think attack, strike. But notice that Paul writes about the sword of the spirit as a part of the armor of God. And while we want to charge forward, attack, conquer, storm the castle, be victorious, we're called to stand, to stand our ground, to endure after we've done everything, to stand. Why? Because Christ already won the victory on the cross. Because God has promised he will crush Satan under our feet. Our job is to trust and to stand. That's not easy, though, because we want to be more productive. We feel like we should be contributing. And yet we're called to stand our ground, to defend ourselves, to be wary of the attacks that are coming so that we can continue to stand. And so we take the sword of the Spirit, and the sword defends us from the attacks of the enemy. And instead of thinking about attacking with the sword, we think of defending with the sword. Not a weapon, but a part of our armor, blocking the attacks of Satan, deflecting, parrying with the sword, stopping the onslaught by effectively, expertly using the word of God that we have been given as our defense. Imagine what would happen if I took up a sword and found an Olympic champion fencer and challenged them to a duel. What do you think would happen? I would lose terribly, horribly, and probably get injured in the process because I'm so unprepared for that kind of a challenge. Strike after strike after strike. They would gain points against me. Hopefully I'd be wearing all the, you know, the pads and the, the face mask protected. But still, I imagine it would be a painful process. What if I took a year to train and dedicated myself to, to hours every day training for a year with the sword? And at the end of that year, I went back and challenged an Olympic champion again. Oh, I would still lose, but maybe not quite so bad as I did the first time. It was a miserable loss, not a terrible loss. What, what would happen if I took a decade, 10 years of study and practice and diligently dedicated myself to the study and practice of swordplay? What would happen then at the end of those 10 years if I went back and challenged that Olympic champion? I might win. There's no guarantee there. But probably after all of that time, I would at least be able to stand my ground and not be pushed back in retreat. I would be able to make a good accounting of myself, even in a defeat. What would have changed in the course of that time, in those hours and hours and hours 
Well, I would have changed physically, growing stronger with more dexterity and flexibility than I had before. I would have grown accustomed to the sword in my hand, knowing the feel of the grip, the weight of the sword, the balance and movement. I would have developed an understanding of the correct position, the correct forms, the correct motions required for attack and defense. I would have developed a knowledge of the best way to counter, to deflect a blow, to block, and to counterattack. I would have developed an eye for the conflict, the battle, to see when an opponent was going to fake or attack or block. I would have developed expert timing for sword fighting. Expert timing also is useful for kung fu fighting. It's a different song, but expert timing is necessary in the course of sword fight. This significant change would have taken place in me, preparing me for that confrontation. And so we think about the spiritual battle that we're engaged in uh, against a, a foe who is cunning, who is crafty, who uses deception, who will continue to persistently attack again and again and again. How can we hope to stand our ground? How can we hope to defend ourselves if we aren't familiar with the sword that's been placed in our hand? Shouldn't we be training as if we were preparing to face an Olympic champion? Shouldn't we be dedicating hours of our day, of our week, consistently studying the word of God? Shouldn't we dedicate ourselves to growing in our understanding of what, what God's word has to say? Shouldn't we spend significant time reading, researching, studying, contemplating the depth of meaning behind the words, meditating over the significance of God's word, listening to the word of God being read and explained, memorizing passages of scripture, talking about the word of God and how we're beginning to understand it, engaging in conversation with other people who are also studying God's word and, and developing a, a deeper understanding through the exchange of information and approach. Shouldn't we be allowing the word of God to to make an impact and apply it to our lives, our thoughts, our actions, our decisions, our speech. Shouldn't we approach the spiritual battle as a fight for our lives with our very souls at stake, preparing ourselves desperately so that we can stand our ground and defend against the attacks of the enemy in whatever form that they come? whether that's temptation, doubt, shame and guilt, grief, despair, whatever it is that Satan throws our way, the twisting of truth, the deception and lies that he will use as his tactics, shouldn't we be as prepared as we possibly can be to stand our ground and remain faithful to the Lord no matter what may come? It's the sword, the word of God that helps prepare us for that confrontation. 
in Fort Wayne, our first ministry right out of college, one of the elders of the church, his name was David. And he had a habit of, of teaching Sunday school and preaching, and he would do it without a Bible. He would get up uh, and stand on a podium that either was empty or it had a piece of paper that had some uh, notes and outline on it. And he would begin with scripture. And he would look us in the eye and recite the word of God, check, word for word out of the Bible. He memorized the Bible, not what he was prepared to teach that day. He had the whole Bible committed to memory. It was unbelievable. It was inspiring to hear him speak with, without pausing, without interruption, without the, the barrier of having to, to look down and interrupt his thought process. It was, it was an amazing thing to see take place. Now, I, I believe he had some mental advantage of eidetic memory or photographic memory. He could, he could read and, and had that benefit. However, it still required dedication, time, practice to, to commit the word of God to implant it in his heart, to imprint it on his brain so that he could recall it when he needed it. I'm sure he prepared for his lessons, refreshing his memory, but it it was so inspiring to, to hear him speak. Can you imagine what would take place if, if we approach scripture with the same kind of awe and respect, the same kind of love and tenderness that we would we would talk about the word of God with such conviction in our hearts that we would, that we would be able to read from God's word or recite from memory with, with such powerful conviction that when we interacted with other people, they would walk away from our conversation and say, wow, I want to pick up my Bible and read it because of the way that you talk about it. That we would allow God to use us to inspire other people to develop a love for his word because of the way that we expertly and effectively wield the sword of the spirit that he's placed in our hand. What an opportunity we would have. Now, David's a personal example for me and his memory of scripture. Jesus also provides for us an incredible example of the memorization of scripture and how he used it to overcome temptation. The story in the, in the gospels of, of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness is found in Matthew and Luke. We're going to read from Luke chapter four today of, of this encounter. It begins in verse one. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live by on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
Jesus answered, it said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Now, this is an incredible example for us. This temptation of Jesus being attacked by Satan and standing against that attack, defending against that attack, overcoming the temptation that Satan threw at him through the use of scripture that was committed to memory. Now notice that Jesus was, was able in, in each of those instances to clearly say, it is written and, and provide that foundation of scripture that he stood on, unwavering in his response. Jesus did not hear from Satan the, the clever temptation, say, well, hold on, let me, let me look through the scrolls. Uh, let's see, bread to stone, bread. Oh, here, Deuteronomy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's written right here. Man doesn't live on bread alone. Uh, that's a good one. I think I can find some more. Just give me, a, give me a couple of days to research a little bit. Maybe I can get a better understanding of what this one means. And we can talk more about this bread and stone thing in a couple of days. Let's come back to this. No, no. Jesus was ready for the moment. He was prepared for whatever Satan threw at him. And not only had the right defense for the right situation, but he had such a strong foundation of scripture that he was able to take the truth that Satan was twisting and throwing at him and identify the wrong and, and, and highlight the, the truth of what's, what God's word had to say. The right meaning, the right understanding. Not just what, what the words said when, when they were pulled out of context, but the, the right meaning and understanding according to the way that they were written. Jesus knew the truth. He wasn't fooled by this twisting and deceiving of the enemy. And we recognize from his example how important it is for us to lay a firm foundation of our understanding of God's word so that when we hear things that contain an element of truth but have been twisted to validate and justify sinfulness, we recognize the flaws, we identify the inconsistencies, and we can stand unwaveringly on the strong foundation of truth because we've taken the time, we've dedicated ourselves to the study of the word of God. We know what it has to say. And, and instead of, of falling for the deception of, of taking a verse out of context and, and using it to prove something that shouldn't be proven by that verse. We read the verse within the context of the paragraph and the chapter and the book that it was written. We understand the original author and the original audience. We, we learn from that context, the deeper meaning of what the, those words had to say according to the way they were written. And we gain a stronger foundation according to the true meaning of what those words have to say. Jesus is this perfect example to us. God in the flesh committed to sacrificing his sinless life on the cross. And he was preparing for this mission. His entire life knew that he was headed for that purpose. There is no chance in the world that Jesus was going to fall to the temptation of Satan. But notice how significant of an example Jesus becomes for us using scripture to deflect, to 
defend, to overcome temptation. And to show us how to contend with temptation in our own lives, to overcome those attacks and to always be ready. Now, Satan tempted Jesus on the offensive, attacked. Was this tempting of Jesus going to be successful? No. But Satan deemed it worthy of the attempt in his persistence. Came after the Lord. And the example Jesus provides to us is as meaningful in response to Satan as we learn from him that no matter how much we grow in our understanding of the word of God, no matter how mature we become in our faith in the Lord, no matter what position we hold, no matter what title we have, no matter what ways we serve in the church and in the kingdom, we should never get to a place where we feel like we're above temptation. We should never come to a place where we feel like, well, I've arrived. Satan no longer has anything to tempt me with. And we let our guard down, believing that we're above such things. That is the moment where we become vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. We imagine ourselves vulnerable to the attack of the enemy after we've been through something incredibly difficult and our, our endurance is exhausted and our resolve is weakened and our, our emotions are raw. Those moments are dangerous and vulnerable. But no more so than when we've enjoyed a time of of growth and gain and ease. In those moments, we are also vulnerable to the attack. And Satan will persistently, diligently continue his assault with temptation, with doubt, with reminders of the past, with sorrow and grief and guilt and shame. He will try in every way possible to push you off the place that God calls you to stand your ground, to get you to falter, to stumble and fall. And we need to always be ready and prepared for the attacks that might come. Notice that Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan and fasted for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, what does Luke say? He was hungry, an understatement by any means in scripture. Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. He was hungry. And what did Satan bring as his first temptation? Food. Use your power to turn this stone into bread. The strongest temptation for the weakest point. Think about the way the enemy is going to attack. With the strongest temptation he can conceive for the weakest point in your life. And we have to be ready. We have to be prepared. And the best preparation comes in our effective and expert use of the word of God, growing in our ability to understand it and use it and defend ourselves from those attacks. Satan continued tempting Jesus to compromise his mission to misuse the power of God for his own desires. And Jesus used scripture to overcome each one of those attacks. Scripture equips us to stand our ground and resist temptation. And even though we may feel overwhelmed by that prospect, even though we, we may feel like we are woefully unprepared for the spiritual battle, 
We know that we have confidence because the Lord is with us. In James chapter 4, we read these words, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When Satan finds us equipped by God, having accepted the armor of God, when Satan finds us empowered by the Lord in his strength, in his mighty power, submitted to the calling of God to stand our ground and resist the temptation that's coming, he will flee. Not because of our strength, not because of our skill, but because God is with us, because we've submitted to him, because we've allowed him to lead us and guide us and surrendered our lives to him. The power of God that's with us is overwhelming to the enemy. And when we submit ourselves and resist the devil, he will flee. The preparation comes through our understanding of the word of God. And the sword prepares us to stand our ground. Now we think about the sword of the spirit. We think of this massive weapon that requires two hands for a powerful strike to overwhelm the enemy, an unblockable blow. But when we read through scripture, we hear a a different kind of description of the sword, a description of precision, of accuracy, of sharpness, of a keen honed edge. It's so sharp. The hand of God uses it like a scalpel, cutting away the rough edges of our lives, removing the corruption of sin so that we're made new by the power of the Spirit working in us. The writer of Hebrews describes the Word of God, chapter 4, verse 12, like this. The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the, the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And we're reminded that this isn't a, a physical blade that we're talking about. Remember our passage, we're not using the, the weapons of the world, but, but divine power to demolish strongholds. This is a, a spiritual blade that's part of our armor, our defense, alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. The scripture, as D.L. Moody once said, scriptures were not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. And the word of God prepares us to stand our ground by, by working to transform us from the inside out working to develop us, to grow us as we use it, as we gain an understanding, as it becomes a part of us, defending us as the Lord develops maturity in us. As we read through the passage of the armor of God, we, we recognize that, that Scripture isn't just listed here as the sword, but scripture has been represented in other pieces of the armor. And that as we, as we put on this full armor of God, each piece is augmented by the others. It's, it's, we, we recognize the, the way that they support and uphold one another. We have the belt of truth, a, a, a reference to the word of God that binds and holds things together. We have the Readiness of the gospel of peace that's fitted on our feet, the, the, the message of the truth of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And here the most direct representation is the sword of the Spirit. This clear description of the equipment that we've been provided. And we recognize that we aren't fully equipped 
without the sword. There's no warrior that would feel comfortable heading into battle with, without a sword. At this time, we've talked about how uh, the, the warriors would, would put on their own armor, those pieces that were already on them, the belt, the breastplate, their feet fitted, and they would go to an armor and receive from them the helmet, the, the, the shield, and the sword. There isn't a warrior at that time that would have been comfortable heading out to the battle lines without their sword, even if they had the best armor available, even if they had a massive shield to protect them, even if they had an impenetrable helmet, they would still feel exposed and vulnerable without their sword. Their equipment would be incomplete and their ability to stand their ground would be significantly diminished without the usefulness of the sword in hand, trained and ready to stand their ground. When Paul wrote to Timothy, the second letter that he sent to him, he described the usefulness of Scripture. Here's what he said. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God is so powerful and effective, so useful to our lives, preparing us to stand our ground and completing our equipment. Paul provides this reminder that Scripture has divine authority as every word in the pages of the Bible comes from the mouth of God, either spoken or inspired by Him. And its divine authority has power in our lives, has power over the enemy to defend us from those attacks. Scripture is useful for teaching us, for helping us understand God and our relationship with him for helping us understand the truth that becomes the foundation that we stand on. We grow in our understanding as scripture teaches us. Scripture is useful for rebuking. What does that mean? It means calling out what is wrong. And when we read scripture, it very clearly identifies the wrong in our lives, highlighting those things that we should not have as part of our lives pointing out all of the flaws and the sins that we have allowed to remain. But it doesn't stop there. Scripture is also useful for correcting, of straightening out those things that have been twisted, helping us understand how to overcome that wrong. Scripture is useful for training in righteousness, for demonstrating to us what godly living looks like so that as we live our lives, we can be faithful to the Lord and bring him glory. We can please him and be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not partially equipped, not adequately equipped, but fully equipped with the full armor of God, allowing God's word to work in us, to teach, identify wrong, to show us how to resolve it and to train us to do what's right so that we can stand our ground against temptation, so that we can plant our feet and continue to stand, no matter what Satan might throw at us, that we would be thoroughly equipped to stand our ground and to serve the Lord. For every interaction that comes with another person, we'd be prepared for that conversation. For every temptation that Satan throws at us, we'd be able to overcome it with the foundation of Scripture that we have developed from the Lord with every doubt that he would bring to mind. We would be able to use scripture to deflect it with every 
thought of despair and grief and guilt and shame, Scripture would lift our spirits and point us to the hope that we have in Jesus. Calling us to faithfully stand our ground, knowing that the Lord is with us in his mighty power. Would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you. We thank you for the description of your word. We thank you for the description of this armor that defends us and protects us. We thank you for your, for your strength and mighty power that you supply. And we thank you for the confidence that you give us to engage in the spiritual battle, to know that we can depend on you, to trust you. Lord, I pray that you would convict us to dedicate ourselves to the study of your word. God, I pray that you would motivate us to read and to learn as much as we can to prepare ourselves for whatever it is that we will face. And God, I pray that you would remind us that you are with us in every difficulty, in every trial, in every temptation. Your promise to remain by our side and to empower us by your spirit as you equip us with your word, God, we pray that you would give us hope and confidence as we surrender to you, trust your provision, and prove yourself strong. Thank you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.